0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's so good to be back. You all look fabulous. (laughs) I'm so happy to see you. So as some of you may know, I recently spent two weeks with about 10,000 of my closest Episcopal friends including our own Alan Murray in Austin, Texas, at the 79th Triennial General Convention of the Episcopal Church. Alan was an alternate deputy for our diocese, so he had a legislative reason for being in Austin. I was there as a logistics volunteer, helping to keep uh, all those great crowds rushing about the whole region seeking Jesus, as they were, I was there to help them feel welcomed and oriented toward their, their tasks. Now, I was doing my own seeking, of course. I think we are all always looking for something, although I didn't know what it was at first. What I discovered at General Convention was that I wanted to touch the fringe Of presiding bishop Michael Curry's cloak. Now, you know who I'm talking about, that obscure bishop from Chicago, as the press described him, who recently preached at some wedding in England. Remember that guy? He's a hero of mine, and I did want to touch the fringe of his cloak, and I did actually touch it, albeit ultimately in the most awkward way although I'm sure I think there's probably no unawkward way to touch the fringe of your hero's cloak. I hadn't intended to be so awkward. I'd already crossed paths with Bishop Curry many times in preparing for general convention. I even sat next to him and talked with him through an entire meal, but unlike everyone else at the table, I decided not to ask him for a selfie... Give the man a break, I thought. Let him eat his lunch in peace, right? I'm above all this selfie-seeking nonsense. Which I should mention, Bishop Curry doesn't think of as nonsense. For him, it is evangelism. Every picture is one more image of the body of Christ out there on social media. But no, no. I wasn't going to bother the presiding bishop. How politely episcopally reserved was I? (laughs) Until, (laughs) until that night at St. David's, the Episcopal church closest to the Austin Convention Center and hence host to many of the related events, you might think of St. David's as something like the Genesaret of Austin. Genesaret being a town on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that attracted many looking, many who were seeking healing even before Jesus showed up. Now, I didn't know what I was looking for, but it was at St. David's where I unexpectedly ran t- into Bishop Curry in the hallway. He was leaving a speaking engagement. I was arriving late, so he was alone but for a single member of his staff. And that's when I, unplanned, completely spontaneously, stopped him and gave him this huge bear hug. The kind that our church actually discourages among colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) And with tears in my eyes, I said, I'm so glad you're here with us. And then suddenly realizing the peculiarity of what I'd just said, I course corrected and said, "Uh, it's your convention though, so I'm glad I get to be here with you. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. I'm Episcopalian. I don't like to be impolite. I did not plan to be that awkward with a presiding bishop. I didn't want to need that hug so badly. But the truth of the matter is, I am needy. I need to thank someone who allows themselves to serve as an icon of love. I need to be reconciled to siblings in Christ who are brown and black. I need a hero worthy of the title. I need healing. You do too. I may not know exactly what you need to be healed of, but I do know that deep in your heart, you want to touch the fringe of the cloak of someone who shows you a better way to live in these dangerous and disturbing times. You know, a lot of people question the cost and inconvenience of the Episcopal Church's every three-year general convention. And in the abstract, I might be inclined to agree with them, except that, as we know here, things happen when people are close enough to touch one another. If we take our Bibles seriously, we know that whenever Christians gather, like a general convention every three years or at Trinity Cathedral every Sunday, we are the body of Christ. We are here to heal each other. and At General Convention, there was healing and reconciliation happening all over the place. Thousands of Episcopalians, myself included, are now going home to tell about it as Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, the first black female diocesan bishop consecrated in our church, preached. What happens in Austin is not supposed to stay in Austin, with apologies to the saints in Las Vegas. So let me tell you what I witnessed. I saw genuine lament and repentance expressed in worship in the opening liturgy of listening that was designed for people, principally women, who have been hurt by discrimination and abuse in our church. I saw vulnerability and openness and joy in the revival liturgy preached by Bishop Curry, in which some 4,000 of us were invited to pray for each other extemporaneously. I saw reconciliation expressed in the resolution for marriage equality, which, albeit an odd compromise, did promise the blessing of marriage in an Episcopal church to same-sex couples everywhere. I witnessed the healing miracle of the Diocese of Cuba returning to its original home in the Episcopal Church some 50 years after being separated due to a hostile political climate. As Paul preached to the church in Ephesus, Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. People of God, I am a witness. I saw hostility broken and people reconciled, and I'm over whatever episcopally polite reserve I ever had. It wasn't much. There's good news coming out of our church. Christ has and will yet break down the dividing walls. That separate us. But here's the catch. Christ breaks down division through vulnerability in his flesh, as Paul expressed it. Jesus's ministries of preaching and healing made his very human body vulnerable to the malevolent powers of his age. In his suffering and death, he shared in the ultimate vulnerability of our nature. And in this is his ongoing invitation to us. When we become vulnerable to each other, we share in his nature, in the very kingdom of God that his presence embodies. We share in the healing that he is already affecting among us even as we await the wiping away of every tear that is promised in the fullness of time. In order to be healed though, we have to actually confess that we are hurting. We have to own up to our own need, as did the disciples who chased after Jesus in Gennesaret and ran ahead of him into the surrounding villages. And this kind of thing isn't easy for people anywhere. Least of all, we polite Episcopalians But if I don't want to bother the body of Christ with my grief or my guilt, however, can Jesus heal me? If you don't want to share the sorrow of things done and left undone, how will you know that you are already forgiven? We hurt. We are lonely. We feel shame. We long for something more. This is the reality of being human for all of us, at least some of the time. Can we tell these kind of vulnerable truths in church? Actually, I'd like to think that our liturgy invites us to do it every week. It's in the prayers of confession and absolution, which lead naturally to the joy of the peace But you and I know that it's possible to say those words without actually letting them break our hearts as they are supposed to do. I've done it myself dozens of times, and in that spirit of vulnerability, I'm going to ask you to call me on it if you ever see me looking distracted during the confession. Because to do so, to be distracted during the confession, is kind of like sitting next to Bishop Curry and not asking for a selfie. God will heal our sorrow and satisfy our deepest longings as long as we ask for it. (laughs) This week I've been pondering the biblical image of the shepherd who appears in various guises in our readings this morning. Remember the 23rd Psalm that we just chanted, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That's another one of those prayers that's so well-known to us that its familiarity might distract us or invite us to distraction. But don't be fooled. Not all shepherds have our best interests in mind. And in times when Jeremiah's condemnation of leaders who scatter the flock rings uncomfortably true, and when Jesus himself laments the lack of a trustworthy shepherd, It might just be time to recommit ourselves to the leadership of the one who is true. Let us listen for the voice of the good shepherd. Let us find and follow apostles worthy, who are worthy heroes. Let us learn from them, touch the fringe of their garment. Let them spread a table before us for friends and enemies alike. So, with apologies to the psalmist for taking great liberties with his words, let me offer this as my prayer for you. You, you who seek a sacred way, make known your wants, and your shepherd shall lead you to the place of your rest and still your troubled waters. Lift up your hearts above the dominion of death and give your fear to the love of the Holy One who is among you and with you. The table before you welcomes friend and foe alike. There will be enough and an abundance left over. Ask then for God's goodness and mercy, and the house of the Lord shall be your everlasting home. Amen.